0: 33 years ago, around about now, June, 33 years ago, uh, I had my leaving service at Spurgeons College before I moved out uh, from college into ministry. And in part of that leaving service, all of the students who were were leaving were given opportunity to say something about something of their hopes and and, and dreams or something of of their prayer desires. And I remember one guy called Roy... (coughs) And uh, he was a little guy, and he was full of life and full of energy. And he just stood up and he said, Lord, he said, I want you to do two things keep my feet firmly on the ground and my hands in the air. And through that, it was just very obvious what he meant. He just wanted to stay in the reality of the world, but always reaching out to the eternal destiny and to the eternal hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something of that in the, one, in the book of 1 Peter. It's very rooted in the real world, in the real world of the people that uh, Peter was, was writing to. But all through this letter, there's that strong theme of hope, that he's, lo- he's wanting his readers to see beyond their present situation their present circumstances. He wants his readers to see beyond what what is happening around them now. It's very difficult, isn't it? Because we can become so wound up and bound up in what is happening to us now. And we suddenly sort of think, well, that's all that life is. But Peter is presenting us with a, a bigger vision, a bigger picture and whatever we're facing today, in terms of trials and testing and in life, and as I look around this room, I know we are. And those are varied, and they are, very ma- and they are many. Trials and testing. Peter is wanting to say to you, there's a purpose to them. And that's something of what we're going to be looking at this morning, briefly. But before that, we're going to read together part of, uh, part of this passage of 1 Peter 1 to uh, 12. And we're going to read from verse 3 round to verse 9. And uh, I'm going to encourage you, if you're able, we're going to say it together, we're going to read it together. Because there is something in the sense of speaking God's word out. This passage, uh, through to verse 13, is all one sentence in the original. It's almost as if Peter has got himself worked up, he's got himself so excited that actually it's just pouring out of him. It's pouring out of him. You know, in a sense, while he's, his, 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 his mind is almost running ahead of him. You know, and his words can't keep up of what he's trying to, to say. So, I'm going to ask you if you can stand and let's say these words together because I think, again, if we speak them, then, you know, they mean something. until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, Winston Churchill once said, Life is a test, and this world is a place of trial. Rick Warren has written, When you understand that life is a test, you realise that nothing is insignificant in your life. Jesus Christ said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peter Later on in this letter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Comforting words, aren't they? Comforting words. But they bring us up to a stark reality. Life is not easy. Life is tough. Life is a trial. Life is a test I guess for those of us who have gone through education you thought that you'd left sats all behind but there's a sense in which the whole of life is a sat a test there whatever God is is doing in your life he's just simply saying will you trust me? will you trust me? will you worship me? will you follow me? will you obey me? There, bless you. I hope that's not because you're close to me. There, but uh, comforting words. In this passage, it says, "There, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though for now, for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials." Josephine, I only met her for about a week in Kigali in Rwanda, about 13, 14 years ago, no, more than that now, probably 15, 15 years there, there. and um, she was a vivacious young woman, full of life, full of energy, bright face, bright smiley face, and uh, she was very, very sort of positive, positive. and uh, you look into her eyes, they were f- f- full of hope, and yet also there was a deep sadness. And it wasn't until partway through the week that uh, Josephine just shared her story with me of how in the midst of the genocide there in Rwanda, she was in her home with her family. And then the Hutus came because she was a Tutsi. The Hutus came. They dragged her mum and dad out and one of her brothers into the streets. I won't go any, any further than that, but that was the last time she saw them. Whilst that was happening, she scrabbled a hole in the back of the wall and scrabbled out the back of the house with her brother, a younger brother, and started to run for the, the forest. Her brother was on her back, clinging to her back. They were being pursued by others with machetes and who were just swiping. One blade just caught her brother and ripped her brother off of her back and left her with a scar down her back. She dropped her brother in the undergrowth and headed into the, uh, the forest. She doesn't know what happened to her brother. She doesn't know what happened to her mother, her father, her brother, or even her grandparents. In a sense, her family was wiped out. She stood there and she said, David, she said, the one thing that I've learned about that is that This world has done its worst. This world cannot do anything worse to me. But there is one thing this world cannot take away. And that is the hope. That is the hope that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the certainty that I have that there will be a day when the wrongs will be righted. God will be glorified and I will find that there is purpose in my suffering and there is purpose in my life. And until that day, I will worship and I will serve and I will follow wherever he calls. There's nothing you can say in response to that. And there's a sense in which it puts any of my sufferings, any of my, tu- my testings, into perspective. My little grumbles. She didn't ask, why did God allow this to happen? Many would. It's one of those big questions, isn't it? Certainly that I get asked. Why has God allowed this? Everything was going so well, but why has God allowed this? And I sort of say, well... Why shouldn't he? Why shouldn't he? There. Josephine would endorse Peter's words. In this I greatly rejoice, though now for a little while I have had to suffer grief in many kinds of trials. These words appear as a hinge in this passage between two great promises. Two great promises for each and every one of us. The first promise is that we have a secure future. And the second one is that there is a purpose to their trials. There is a purpose to our testing. That's what this passage is saying about. We have a secure future. There's a lot of talk, isn't there, in life about securing your future. Whether that's by getting a better job, or getting a better income, or whether that's boosting your pension, or whether that's moving to a better house, or with better prospects. There's a lot of emphasis, isn't there, on about securing our future. But I wonder, do we spend as much emphasis upon securing our spiritual future? Our spiritual future there. There's a note of joy that comes through this passage. It begins, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that sense of celebration. It means to speak good of someone. It means to eulogise over them. It means to build them up and to lift them up. It goes on, in all this you greatly rejoice. That sense of, of celebration. At the heart of that, there's that sense of of children jumping for joy, a real sort of excitement, you know, in terms of life and in terms of the security that we have. And it goes on in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? That I'm filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy that sense of rejoicing in who God is and what God has done and in this, pa- this verse it's looking back to those earlier verses 3 to 5 and uh, <coughs> there we have a secure future and there's four reasons to be joyful <coughs> excuse me four reasons first of all God is great in mercy <coughs> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us. Stop there. Stop there. In His great mercy, He has given us. Everything comes from God. How did we meet God? It was in God's terms. It was through His grace, it was through His love, it was through His mercy. What is it that Paul writes in Ephesians? Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. There we were, we were dead, and yet he made us alive in Christ. And it goes on. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow. He picked us up from the gutter. He picked us up from the depths and he's lifted us to the heights. And it's God's love, it's God's mercy. And what Paul is saying and what Peter is saying, it doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter what you have done. God's love and God's mercy and God's grace can pick you up and make you whole. And he can deliver you and he gives you a future and he gives you a hope. You thought you were condemned. You thought you were lost in your sin and your shame and your guilt. But God has reached out and he's picked you up and he's lifted you up and he's lifted you higher and higher into his very presence. And it's all of his mercy. It's all of his love. Not of my doing. It's not of your doing. It's not of our doing. It's his. God. God our Father has given us has given us. He's done. He's rich, he's great in mercy. It goes on to say that we're born again into a living hope. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. At birth, we share the genetic makeup, don't we, of our parents, of our biological parents. And some of us realize that the older we get, the more we come to, be, to, to look like them or to act like them, and we recognize those traits, you know, and we say, Oh, we can see your mother in, her, in you, or you see your dad in you, and, and what have you, and that's it. But we don't actually just sort of take possession of their DNA, their genetic makeup, we're also part of their strengths and their weaknesses, their advantages and disadvantages. Do you know a child born to parents here in the UK has a much higher percentage chance of succeeding in life than a child that is born in Central Africa? The advantage of living in the UK. And so we, we take on board that, don't we? Here, Peter speaks of a new birth that as we will see in a couple of weeks, brings with it a new identity and a new citizenship in chapter 2. This new birth initiated by God the Father results in a new life. And with this new life, we also have a new hope. For we have been born again into a living hope. What do you hope for? Is it just simply the sense that, oh, oh, I'm just hoping that When I get home, there's going to be dinner on the table. There, you know, just a vague hope or whatever. But hope here speaks of full assurance, is a certain expectation of a future event. Do you have that? Do you have that security of that hope? that certain expectation of a future event. We speak, don't we, of coming to Christ, receiving Christ, and entering into eternal life. Is that your hope? Is that your expectation? Or is it still just wishful thinking? And see, Peter grounds this in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That historical event. Jesus Christ who died, was buried and was raised again for us. The first fruits of resurrection. That because he has conquered death, then we too will conquer death. We too will enter into that new life. It's grounded in what Jesus has done for us. That new life, that new hope. And it's an imperishable Inheritance And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. The fullness of God's kingdom, the fullness of God's love, fully, fully manifest to us. <coughs> the inheritance that we have in Christ. I sometimes hear people saying, well, once I receive my inheritance, I can do so and so. And you realise that what they're saying is, once mum and dad die, or Aunt Sally, or Uncle Jim, then I get my inheritance and I can do this. And they're thinking about their inheritance. But we have an inheritance that is secure, that is kept in heaven for us for you and for me. We have a future that is secure. The book of Revelation, in a sense, paints that in many respects. There will be no more death, there will be no more mourning, there will be no more crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. Entering into the fullness of God's kingdom, the fullness of God's love and all that he has for us. I've mentioned him before, but a guy called Doug Nash... Taught me so much. He should have died about the age of 58, 59. He had two, three big heart attacks. And they said it was a miracle that he survived, but he survived again for a number of, <coughs> probably about, was it 12 years, Carol? Something like that, I think, wasn't it? So, yeah. And I had the joy of, 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 of taking his, his, his funeral. But I also had the joy of being there at his death. And if there's ever been a man who took his suffering in the right way, it was Doug Nash. Who saw every obstacle as an opportunity for God to work. And there was a sense in which, yes, he was surrounded by family and friends, but there was a sense in which he had a very clear understanding of his destiny. And he's one of those few people that, in a sense, was able to decide the time of his death. The doctors said they could do no more for him, and uh, but they could give him some more drugs, which would perhaps prolong his life for a few more months. But he decided, no, that was it. Now was the time. So he stopped his medication, and they said, well, if you stop your medication within three days, you'll be dead. And he said, that's fine. He says, I know. I know where I'm going. I know what my future is. I know what my inheritance is. I can't wait to get there. That was his attitude. And so family gathered, friends gathered, people gathered. The nurses and doctors couldn't, couldn't get their heads around it. And it came one Sunday afternoon. And uh, it became very obvious that this was, this was the time. And he said his final goodbyes. He sat up in bed. He started to look into the distance. He says, He's coming. He's coming. And we looked around and we couldn't see anything. He said, He's coming. This bright light is coming. Can't you see it? You can see it surely. Oh, the horizon. The horizon. It's so big. It's so big. Jesus is coming. And within a matter of minutes, he'd gone. He'd gone and he received his inheritance. It reminded me so much of the image that there is in the Narnia books when the world is being rolled up and Aslan stands there and he's telling the people to come up through the doorway and he's saying, further up and further in, further up and further in. And all there is is this unfolding world that is opening, a perfect world, a beautiful world, for those who have put their trust in Aslan. Aslan. Yes, sadly, for those who have not put their trust in Aslan, as they come up to the door, they veer off to the left. And that inheritance is not for them. Do you know your inheritance? And it's guarded by God's power. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. Notice this inheritance is being kept in heaven for you and it's ready to be revealed. It's sealed. The documents have been sealed. The documents have been signed. It's all there, ready. It was all there, ready for the day. Ready to be revealed at the last time. That moment when Jesus Christ is there, shielded, means to be kept, a mounted guard over you. What Peter is trying to express is, to his readers here is that God has done everything. He's lifted you up out of the Maori clay. He's lifted you up out of your sin and your shame. And he's put you into the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And he's given you an inheritance that can never spoil, perish or fade. It's kept there in heaven for you whilst you journey through this earth, through this world. Yeah, we're exiles. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. God's kingdom is our home. We're pilgrims here. And he's saying it's there, it's secure, it's signed and sealed. Carol and I have made our wills. They're signed and sealed and they're being kept in safe storage so that, yeah, when the day comes... They will be taken out. And yeah, our kids will know. And God has signed and sealed and kept our inheritance. It's there. In this, you greatly rejoice, saying, though now, for a little while, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Nowhere in scripture does it say that come to Jesus and everything will be fine. Rather the opposite in this world you will receive trouble Jesus said. So there's a purpose to our trials and very quickly there's five things about those trials and they are quick they are brief in a little while there What's our span of life? 70 years, 80 years, 90 years? What's that in the face of eternity? A little while. They're grievous. Yeah, Peter doesn't say they're they're dead easy. He's saying they're horrendous. They're hard. They're heartache. They're sorrowful. They're varied. They're all kinds. We can't just simply say it's going to be this or this or this. They're they're all kinds of, of trials. They're a test. They're a test. What is it he says in this passage? So that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Is God saying, okay, you say you trust me. And it's easy to trust me when your bank accounts full, But will you trust me? when your bank account's empty. Yes, it's easy to trust me when you can run a four-minute mile. I'm not sure that many of us can, but hey-ho. <laughs> but, uh, but will you trust me when the bones ache and the muscles are gone and old age is knocking on the door? Will you still trust me? They are cleansing, refined by fire. That means to purify. You see, part of our faith, isn't it? We come to Jesus and we come with the simplicity of our faith. But our faith gets dirty, our faith gets muddled. And it's only through the experiences of life that God is able to cleanse that faith and purify that faith and bring it to a place where it brings glory to him through his Son. And for each and every one of us, it will be different. And each and every one of us has our own journey to travel. It's cleansing. But there are three outcomes (coughs) the verification of our faith proves the genuineness of your faith. Because, yes, it's there when going gets tough. Our trust is proved. Our hope is proved. Our perseverance is proved. Don't be surprised when you pray to God, oh, God, will you give me patience? Don't be surprised that God will then put you into a situation where you find yourself all the while being impatient. Because it's a decision that we have to make. I will be patient here. It's the glorification of our faith may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, there is a purpose to your life. There's a purpose to my life. We think we're nobodies. We think we're insignificant, but each and every one of us is important. Vitally important in the purposes of God and in the purposes of his kingdom because it's in you and it's in me and it's in each and every one of us that his glory is manifest. His glory is shown. And yes, our testing brings praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is, is revealed. There's going to be an awful lot of glory when he is revealed. And finally, it's for the salvation of our souls. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Do you know you have been saved? You have been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice at Calvary. You are being saved through the life that you lead now and the discipleship that you exercise. God is saving you. He's changing you. And you will be saved on that day when Jesus Christ is revealed and you will be part of the glory that surrounds him you will be part of that glorious majestic aura around him because his presence his glory will be seen in you because we are called to mirror him to mirror him in who we are. Let's pray.